Hello everybody and welcome to Roleplay Chat. I'm Matt, a game master who can't stop talking about role-playing games. I'm super excited for you to listen to today's episode. It's a fantastic conversation and Scott the Miniac has all kinds of awesome insights. I do want to caveat that this episode is a little bit different in terms of structure. Normally, on an episode of Roleplay Chat, we do one deep dive on one topic at hand and try to find ways to improve and share strategies. In today's episode, we kind of touch on two topics. We talk a little bit about roleplaying and why roleplaying is fun, and I try to convince Scott that he should do more of it. And then Scott gives us some advice about miniature painting and how we can make it more accessible so that people playing in roleplaying games don't have to spend too much money, don't have to spend too much time on making their miniatures and use them at their table in the best way possible. He also shares some advanced techniques which are really cool. I'm really excited. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. I'm going to stop the preamble a little bit here, but I just want to plug one last thing. There's some new details that I want to share with you about the What is Roleplay Anyway panel. So the What is Roleplay Anyway panel is coming up. A date has been set. It's going to be August 26th from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And it's going to be streamed live on the Scry Society Twitch channel. So if you want to watch that, you're going to want to come and join us Friday, August 26th from 6 to 8 p.m. where me and five panelists are going to dissect what roleplay means to us and how to get better at it, how to put on voices, how to get into the skin of a character, things like that. It's going to be a charity event, so we're going to be raffling off some prizes. We'll be collecting donations during the stream for the National Network of Abortion Funds. I think right now this is a, a good time for us to collect money for people who need it. I hope you enjoy today's episode. And as always, if you have questions or thoughts, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And I'd like to encourage you to rate, rate the podcast as well. The podcast has had a little bit of a stagnation in, as far as ratings go. So if you haven't given the podcast a five-star rating or a thumbs up or what have you on the podcatching platform that you're using, I'd highly encourage you to do it. And I'd like to thank you ahead of time. Enough with uh, me rambling on. Let's go into the discussion. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to Roleplay Chat. I'm here today with my special guest. He is a professional miniature painter, uh, the co-host of the Trapped Under Plastic podcast, a podcast that covers all your miniature painting needs and more. You may also know him from his digital mini courses where you get access to 78 videos that teach you how to paint miniatures, or actually it's one miniature, right? It's one miniature that you get to learn how to paint, but it gives you all the techniques that you can use on any other miniatures thereafter. Some select few know him as Monica, and you likely know him from his A plus YouTube channel covering miniature painting and humorous skits and more. Please welcome Scott the Miniac. What's good, roleplay chat peeps? Thanks for having me on. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, you know, before we dive into today's topic at hand, Scott, why don't you give everybody listening a little bit of, you know, a little bit of knowledge about you, about your, your geek origin story, and what kind of uh, role-playing game experience you have? Mm -hmm. Okay, so my, my geek origin story started in the womb. My mom, Omega Geek, huge fan of Star Trek, all kinds of stuff. 
Uh, and so she 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 gave me the DNA necessary to get into this. But nice, nice. Where where it really started was in a little mall. Actually, it wasn't too small, but it was a mall called Gurney Mills in Illinois, in the United States. And uh, we were in a mall. I saw a Games Workshop. I was shopping with my mom. I wasn't shopping. She brought me along. I was her victim, really. And I was like, I need to go in there while you're doing whatever you're doing, you know, at the shoe store. And she was like, after like three trips to the mall eventually i got to go inside nice there's a bunch of spooky demons on like two-thirds of the walls in that store so I, we avoided those thirds went to the back wall bunch of lord of the rings stuff familiar territory for my mom and so we got into the the miniature hobby by doing that but in terms of like the whole geek spectrum i've been into playing like pc games for a super long time i remember the first video game i ever played was called taco bell's tasty temple it uh, came on a floppy drive and, uh, and a kid's meal, a Taco Bell. And you killed, scorp- you killed scorpions with hot sauce. It was fantastic. Do you still have it somewhere? <laughs> hiding away? No, no <laughs> but you, if you look it up on YouTube, you'll see gameplay footage of Taco Bell's Tasty Temple. I encourage all listeners to go and look at this masterpiece of a video. I'm sure game. there's like a speedrunner out there who speedruns <laughs> Taco Bells. You know, it's just like the niche, the very yeah. special niche. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to get that floppy drive to USB reader, but otherwise, yeah, you're you're set. Yeah, I mean, I, I love all kinds of uh, uh, fun fantasy lore as well. I used to read books uh, about the Lone Drow Drist when I was growing up, and a huge fan of King Arthur and that kind of like medieval knight. So I, I like a lot of stuff. Very cool, very cool. And as far as role playing games, I think Scott, you're one of the first guests that I've had the pleasure to talk to who isn't entirely obsessed by role-playing games. So you, you bring a very unique perspective. Why don't you let the listeners know a little bit about, about you know, where you come from as far as uh, Dungeons and & Dragons and other role-playing games go? Yeah, so I guess my, my background in Dungeons & Dragons is pretty minimal. I have been in one campaign that kind of like met maybe four times over the course of like two years. So it's like really slow going. I've been in uh, like one to three one-shots. Um, and they kind of experience like a, a smaller session in that way. But generally speaking, I, I haven't always felt the allure of, of role playing. I love the physicality of miniatures, of board games and stuff like that. And, you know, there's definitely a little bit of embarrassment when it comes to trying to act like your character. You know, it's like everyone's going to judge me. People, maybe people are better at this. Maybe I'm new to it. Yeah. So I think those two things kind of mingle together. To, to make it an experience that I'm not like seeking out. But but if it runs into me, I'm happy to to take the blow. Cool, cool, cool. Well yeah, no, I, I think I think that's a perfectly valid position to have, especially when you dedicate as much of your time as you do to other, you know, other hobbies. I think miniature painting is something that requires a pretty heavy dedication. I've I've tried to do it for such a long time. I I have like a lizardman box of skinks in my basement from like, I don't know, 15 years ago from like when <laughs> Warhammer fantasy, like the tabletop game existed still. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> only like 10 of them are painted. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I've since rekindled my passion for miniature painting. Even, you know, some of the, some of the videos on your channel inspired me to buy a paint, like an airbrush. Nice. I've got my little, like we moved our washing machine not our washing machine, our, yeah, our washing machine and dryer from the basement upstairs. So I kept the vent to like hook up my 
homemade like spray booth it's super super ghetto but it nice. does the job yeah <laughs> but um yeah so mini painting i think has a, a surprising amount of overlap with role-playing games and i guess i'm going to put that theory to the test in today's episode but uh one last moment for you scott to talk a little bit about yourself before we dive into this i did want to give you the opportunity to talk to people about your mini painting stuff like why don't you tell everybody about your channel about what you do and maybe some of your some of the your proudest achievements in the mini painting space that you've uh, accomplished in the past little while yeah absolutely um so my channel is like concentrated miniature painting fanaticism i guess is the best way to put it i love everything about the hobby of mini painting so you'll find videos on my channel that celebrate or poke fun at the culture of mini painting you'll find tutorials on painting models that's probably the the largest uh, concentration of videos you'll find tutorials about specific pieces of equipment about comparisons between equipment about techniques about how to paint your miniatures about more philosophical things like you know like why you're why sometimes you're your own biggest enemy when it comes to painting miniatures so it kind of goes all over the board because i love pretty much everything about the hobby um in terms of achievements i'm happy to have one of the largest channels on youtube about miniature painting i'm not sure if guy from miniature Painting has passed me yet but at the moment i have the second largest channel and that's that's always been really nice i just finished running my first kickstarter campaign ever and it was successful and we're cool. in fulfillment right now yeah so that was that was a huge stepping stone for me that it feels like a lot of YouTubers uh, tend to take having a, a large product on Kickstarter. And at the moment, I am, I would say about 85% done moving into a new office space. So I'm finally out of my own house and into an office and have, uh, have an employee who's helping me edit videos. So a lot of big changes in this last six months um, that are challenging to work with while also continuing the whole video and, and, and painting minis uh, challenge. Yeah, that's the dream. Have somebody edit your stuff for you. Oh man, living the dream over there, Scott. Beauty. Yeah, Beauty. yeah. I mean, honestly, I enjoy editing videos, so I give him all the scummy work, and I do the fun <laughs> editing. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, it's it's super helpful to have an assistant editor, assistant cinematographer. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So I mean, if anybody listening is into miniature painting, you definitely ought to go check Scott's channel out. I'm, you know, you probably already know of it. If I'm being quite honest with myself, but if you don't please let this be your calling to go check out the maniac channel um and actually scott you talk about philosophy and, and how you, you kind of poke at the philosophy a little bit in some of your videos and i think that that's what spoke to me the most about your videos and what made me think you'd be a fantastic guest on roleplay chat because roleplay chat is all about dissecting things and, and think about the philosophies behind why we do certain things in the in you know in our hobby of ours so Let's uh, let's dive right into the topic at hand. Um, and for the listeners, this episode is going to be a little bit different than usual. Usually we pick one thing to talk about and one thing only. And it's more about, you know, giving advice and things like that. So today it's going to be a little different. I, I'm going to take it upon myself to share with Scott some of the things that I love the most about the role-playing hobby. Some things that are specific to role-playing that maybe you can't get anywhere else. I'm gonna try to convert. I'm gonna try to convert Scott. Bring bring up those numbers a little bit. Um, instead of you know a couple of one shots, let's bring those up. Let's let, let's have a checklist, and we're gonna keep tabs on how many one shots Scott's done between now and the end of the year. You know, let's okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so so yeah. So we're gonna do that first, and then of course we're you know I can't have Scott here and not talk about mini painting. So we're gonna poke a little bit at that and maybe get some advice and. 
I, like I said, the, the worlds of role-playing games and mini-painting, I think, bleed into each other quite a bit. I ran a poll the other day, oh, I think it was a week ago, and it was just kind of got a, kind of got a scope of how many people listening and how 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 many people on in the Twitter sphere were role players and mini painters. And fifty one percent of the people who answered said that they did both. Um, I think it was something like twenty percent of the people who answered said that they did neither. And I was confused as to why <laughs> <laughs> what they were doing answering the poll. But that's what are you all right. what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, why? Why? I mean, I'm happy that they were involved, but why? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so 51% of people, you know, out of you know, something like 200 or 250 respondents, uh, that's that's still pretty significant. So anyway, I, I'm already rambling. Let's talk about role-playing and why it's so great and why Scott should do it. Now, as we usually do on, on this podcast, when we have a topic at hand, we're going to define it. And without, you know, wanting to spend too much time defining this, because I don't want everybody to be bored of this um, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I'm going to define what role-playing is. And there's a lot of content out there that exists explaining this. Even the player's handbook, I believe it's on page... I wrote this down. Give me one second. I should be more organized than this. On page 185 of the player's handbook, it talks about a descriptive and active approaches to role-play. Descriptive approach being talking in third person, right? Saying, my character is going to go to the shopkeeper and he's going to buy that sword of fire or whatever and then the active role play is the first person role play so that's how when you go up to the shopkeeper and you ask him mighty i'm going to buy that sword how flaming is it so you've got the two active versus descriptive versions of role play described there and there's all kinds of content creators that have described what role play is but i'm going to take my stab at it and it's heavily inspired by matt coville's role playing video so Anybody out there who hasn't seen that, I'm going to link that in the show notes for you to go find. And uh, Matt Coville talks about kind of two levels of role play, role play with a lowercase r and role play with a higher case, like an uppercase r and a higher case. What am I talking about? Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to focus on the uppercase, the uppercase role playing. So this is when you're acting to make a decision about what a character would do that isn't you. And the character is doing something that you as, as a person wouldn't do. So it's really putting yourself in the skin of that character and, and, and making a decision that maybe isn't your gut reaction, but rather based on the motivations of that character. This is going to come, and I'm sorry, Scott, I'm rambling a little bit, but this is going to come with a whole bunch of caveats. Okay, Role-playing can be whatever you want it to be. You don't have to do it to enjoy role-playing games. You can sit back, roll dice, beat monsters to death in, in your game, and that's it. And not put on a voice, and not put on a character, and not do any of that. And I'm not saying that that's bad. But for me, a lot of the fun in Dungeons & Dragons and tabletop role-playing games is doing that. So we're going to focus on that a little bit, because that's, that's my fun, and I think it's fun to dissect it. But I'm not by any means saying that the way you play your game is wrong if you don't put on a character, if you don't act as somebody else. Yada yada, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, I hope you guys understand that. So, um, yeah. So far, Scott, you tracking? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. And is that something that you did when you you played in your your your, your peppering of games? Did you put on a character? Did you try voices, or did you change your motivations to be something that you wouldn't normally do in real life? Yeah, I think so. So, I think mostly what I did was 
was being descriptive uh, in a in a third from a third party. But definitely, I don't know if you have the right group of people and you want to kind of be a little goofy, it's a lot easier to kind of do that more active role playing. And uh, so yeah, I definitely did that as well. And then the 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 other thing you mentioned about putting on someone's skin and making choices that they would make that you wouldn't make sounds a lot like method acting. Are you familiar with that term? Uh, not really. No, I'm not an actor. I'm not. I'm not a trained actor at all. But I mean, uh, not, neither am I. Um, but like so, <laughs> so DDL Daniel Day Lewis when he plays Lincoln will has like a strategy where he he will eat, sleep, and drink Abraham Lincoln for like however long until he is like become Abraham Lincoln. Um, and and then from there, when he goes on set to do things, he doesn't have to think about how to say it. He he just he already is the character, and then he stays that way for the entirety of production. So for the entirety of the filming of Lincoln, he is Abraham Lincoln. So when you talk to him in between takes, like after takes, he is Abe Lincoln. So that kind of reminds me of, of that thing that you see in Hollywood sometimes called method acting. That's intense. That's, that's it cool. Is. Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is when you're playing a role-playing game, you should just be your character the mm. whole time. Yeah, until you know, the campaign's over. Right? <laughs> it's, funny. it's funny you say that. Cause I, I used to have a friend. So I, at that first store I went to, Gurney Mills, I was friends with the employees at Games Workshop, which was mm-hmm. amazing because they were way older than me. And like, you know, as a 30-year-old, I have zero interest in being friends with 14-year-olds. Like, <laughs> they suck as far as I'm concerned. Um, but God bless those employees. Uh, they were friends with me. And one of them told me about a story where he acted as his role-playing character outside of a session where he like went to a store and bought like a hundred of the same doll because like that's what that character oh would do. God. And I was like, man, that is commitment. It's weird, but I, I mean, I respect it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, there is some crossover there. Good, good for him. What is he going to do with a hundred dolls of the same? Did, did he bring them back? I hope he must have brought them back. Dude, this was sixteen years ago. I have no idea what he did. <laughs> <laughs> I could ask. We're still friends, though. I could ask. You should, you should be like, hey, I, I want one of those dolls. And <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty hilarious, actually. And, and you know what? I don't want to laugh at people who do that because if you're doing that out there, folks, good for you, good on you. That's more commitment that you have to your characters than I do. Um, but like Scott said, you can be role-playing without doing that, right? You can be role-playing in your descriptions. You don't have to put on a voice. You don't have to embody a character. I, I think the, the bottom line here is you are role-playing if you're making a decision for this character that you're you're playing and the decision that you're making isn't necessarily the one that you would be taking as me, Matt, or you, Scott, or you, the listener, but your character, you know, Thomas Jones, the pirate or whatever. So if you're making the decision based off of their motivations and what they would do in the scenario, then you are role-playing, whether you're putting on a voice, buying a hundred dolls or whatever, it's, <laughs> it's all the same. Okay. Um, cool. So now let's move on to some of the things that I love about doing this. I think, and Scott, you know, interrupt me whenever you want, if you feel so inspired to do so, okay. but I'm going to try my best to also kind of throw you some questions that are going to bridge the gap between mini painting and, and role play. Sounds good. So I think the, the number one thing I love about role playing games is that it's this opportunity to tell collaborative stories with each other. Me and my buddies, we're a creative bunch. We love to sit down and just weave narratives together. Whether you're the game master, I mean, as the game master, you have a little bit more flexibility to be the one in control of this narrative. But at the end of the day, it's a table of people 
hanging out, drinking beer, eating Cheetos, and having a good time telling a story together. So I think that that kind of world building element and being able to showcase this story and and, and having curveballs in the story is one of my favorite parts about role playing games. Um, and, and kind of what I wanted to ask you was, in the mini painting hobby, you know, when I paint minis, I'm just looking at the box art and doing my best to copy that that 100% to what I see on the box art. But in, in, in you know, when you get a little bit more involved and when you get a little bit better at it or a lot better at it like you have uh do you ever find yourself using the, the the paints and the colors and maybe the base of the miniature to tell some kind of narrative is that part of your creative processing if it is can you describe that to us absolutely first of all no shame in copying the box art at all. <laughs> just like role playing miniature painting you can have your own fun with it however you have fun with it that's what you should do it's a hobby after all like we're, this is not like a a job for 99 percent of us so absolutely copy the box art do whatever you want in terms of telling a story yes every single paint job that i have some at least some element of it not the entire paint job probably but some element is inspired by some kind of narrative an example is i painted a 75 millimeter model from Black Sun Miniatures, and I called her Tally. And she, in my world, was a mercenary, and she had a shaved head. And on one side of her head, the shaved head side, I put tallies, like little strikes, and those are the people that she had killed. So for every person she killed, she adds a, a mark to her, her head. And like below her feet is a wanted poster with her face on it. So yeah, a lot of, honestly, I've been saying this for a while. I, f I think that when you make a story around whatever you're painting, whether it's a one-off character, whether it's an army, it makes painted decisions so much easier to come to. And also even just like modeling and hobby decisions. So yeah, absolutely. Always painting with some kind of narrative. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, I mean, it must boil down to like character design and things like this, right? Because I, I, I'm seeing a lot of parallels also when you're creating yourself a, a player character in a role-playing game. If you If you go in it dry... You, you create like a generic character or you, you take one of those prefabricated characters in a role-playing game, you're, you're often not going to have, you're not going to feel as inspired to make interesting decisions or, or you're not going to know the motivations of your character. But if you've got, what did you, your name was Tally, the name of this character? No. Yeah, Tally, yeah. Yeah, so if you got, you know, if your Tally sounds like a cool character to play in a role-playing game where keeps track of her kills maybe you bring a little notebook and you keep track of it at the back of your character sheet or whatever and mm. you know the, these little things add flavor to your character and make role playing them more fun mm. because you can kind of have an educated um yeah educated decision uh yeah. you, you talked a little bit about a figurine versus an army can you elaborate mm. a little bit about that scott yeah so i would say Maybe 85 to 90% of people who are into the hobby are into it as a means to an end, that end being playing games. And for those people, they'll often be painting squads, armies of models that range from 5 to 150 models, depending on what style of army it is, what game system it is. Um, but for other people, um, myself included, um, we'll paint miniatures with no means to an end, just uh, to enjoy the process. And for people who enjoy that, um, there are tons of boutique uh, web stores and and makers that are making beautiful like models, limited edition or or available forever that um, are different scales that are busts, and they allow a lot of different kinds of expression because of the difference in scale, the difference mm. in uh, you know t uh, like subject matter and all that stuff. Cool. And you know what? I, I imagine that 
those those figurines that you're talking about those specific models have a lot of personality to them when compared to an army i mean yeah. I, i'm just remembering my box of lizardmen there's <laughs> like 15 of the same dude with one with a blow dart and one with a shield and one with a spear so it was all so they all looked the same to me um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would say that with the display model there is more character in, in an individual mini but I think a better comparison would be to compare display model to an army. An army has a backstory, why the leader is who they are, why their mm. their armor is painted the way it is. So there's there's a lot of fun backstory that links the whole thing together. Mm, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, and it actually segues pretty nicely to the next thing that I love about role-playing games. And that's, it's, it's, it's having this opportunity to play a personality that's maybe not me. Um, mm. in, in my real life, I'm a, I'm a government employee. I'm a dad of two. I, I I lead a pretty calm life, which boring. is good. Boring, but man. it's boring. Oh, it's what so the boring. heck? You're not you're not killing people on the weekends. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I don't have a tally of my deaths <laughs> on my skull. But when I'm playing a role playing game, I sure as hell can, and no mm. one's gonna get mad at me for it. Mm. Um. So yeah, this this opportunity to have somebody with a funny quirk or even be like this comedic character that pokes fun at people. It's almost like the shield that allows me to try something new and to try something fun and different. And so long as I'm with a group of people who accept that and who don't take some of the things I might say personally or, or outside of the table, you know, when I'm playing like a dopey character who's poking fun at them or at their character, rather it, it's, it can be a lot of fun. It, it's liberating to have this escapism. Mm, I have a question for you. Yeah, sure. How sure. often do you find that other players, maybe even yourself included, get personally attached to a character such that they have a hard time separating um, themselves from their character and, and things get personal? People get upset. How often does that happen? Mm, that happens a lot, actually. Um, mm. it, it does happen a lot, especially I find when you start this hobby, oftentimes the first instinct that you'll have when you create a character is to create a character who's very similar to you uh, who's or who is like a perhaps a, a a leveled up version of yourself who has attributes <laughs> that you wish you had is still like a U plus a U plus or what have you. So yeah, yeah. in those instances, yeah, you can certainly get offended or you can accidentally offend somebody when you say something or do something maybe that's intended to be dramatic for the sake of being dramatic. Mm -hmm. But then you know that person feels attacked because you've just insulted or or contradicted or did something mean to their character who is just them. Yeah. So you definitely have to be careful. You definitely have to make sure everybody at the table's on the same page when it comes to comes to that kind of stuff. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Have have you felt that? Have you felt attacked when you were playing a role playing game, Scott? No. I mean I no. take a lot of, <laughs> I, I take a lot of crap, so it's okay. Um <laughs> uh yeah, I think I've never felt that way, but I'm trying to think if the if the characters that I've made have been leveled up versions of myself. Like like you say, it's fun to play games like these because you can be someone that you're not. And so I often get to be people like like a, I get to be a wood elf, and I love wood elves. And um, because I have an idea about how wood elves are from their personality, it's different than me, and so I'm able to kind of take on that personality. And so maybe there is some separation there. Cause I've mm -hmm. never felt I've never felt like super linked to uh, a role playing character to the point where I'm getting upset, but. You know, I could try it out sometime, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th this reminds me of a story that happened in in one of the games that I've run. I run a pirate themed game, 
That's okay, why it makes sense. Good, that's why yeah. I have such a good pirate <laughs> yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I noticed. But um, yeah, so this was maybe three years ago. Uh, my wife plays in the game, and some of my buddies play in the game. And there was this one moment where my wife, her character, revealed this deep, dark secret that her character was secretly like a spy in this organization. And she was kind of a double agent in the pirate crew. And it was supposed to be this moment for her character to reveal this super cool secret. And she was expecting everybody to be like, wow, that's so cool and and kind of lift her up. But what ended up happening was kind of the opposite. Mm -hmm. One of the other players, their character felt betrayed by this. So they got very upset. And and this was all okay. We were all on the same page that like, we're going to get into the dramatic. This is what we're here to do. He was like, how could you, how could you do this? I trusted you. Why would you lie to everybody on the crew? And he made a big scene about it in the in the game. And even though, you know, we were all in agreement that this was supposed to be okay, it kind of shook my wife a little bit and she wasn't yeah. too comfortable about it. And we had to end the game early and had to have a conversation about it and like everybody had to cool down. So yeah, there's definitely, you know, if you get too into it, you could sometimes get people upset or get people riled up. So you got to be yeah. careful. But yeah, I mean, to, to add on to the list of things that make role playing games and miniature war games or the hobby of mini painting similar in miniature war games, people are very invested in their armies that they're playing. And so what, what happens is when you play a game and things don't go well because dice are involved, they get very upset, sometimes really upset, sometimes not so upset. But you as the opponent who is currently dominating them. Because of dice, exclusively, right? No, um, you, you kind of have <laughs> There's it. There's got to be some skill in there, picking yeah, the right, the right army pieces is. and stuff. But there is. But the opponent, they never say that. They're like, "Man, my <laughs> dice are so terrible." It's like, dude, shut up! I was slaying you. Now, anyways, um, so sometimes you, as the opponent, when you when you identify that your your opponent is struggling in in that way and is kind of feeling a little low, you kind of have to adopt maybe a little bit more of a charismatic or a little bit more caring personality because. You know, you've been there. Everyone's been there. It's like, man, I love this army. I painted it. I invested time in it. It took me like however many hundreds of hours to do, and now I'm playing this game, and I'm just getting crushed. It's it's mm. a it's a, it's a soul sucking feeling where part of you is is losing, uh, which is what it sounds like is happening in that situation as well. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. Mm. It if if anything, it feels like it'd be worse. You know, like you're saying, hours and hours and hours uh, invested into painting this army of dozens of pieces if not more so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that could be uh, that could be sad especially if it's like in a tournament or something and you oh, bet yeah. money on it or whatever um, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah Whew. there's there's no there's no betting in the role playing that i do i mean maybe okay. maybe there's somebody out there who does i'd love to hear about it me, yeah, you know. the gambling circle of role players yeah that'd be <laughs> awesome that'd be funny um yeah okay cool so th- there's there seems to be a lot more parallels that i had originally thought mm. um one one other thing that i love a lot about role-playing games and maybe there's a parallel here that we can draw to scott is this idea of playing a more complex character so there's these the simple characters or you have an accent or you have a funny quirk or personality trait but then there's also these more complex characters where you get to explore deep psychological things about yourself or maybe inner or you give this character like an inner conflict maybe you know one one archetype that i really like is this a person who's out for revenge. Maybe something bad happened to their family, their parents were killed, and they, they, they make a pact to go seek out the person who did it. And, you know, as they're adventuring, they, they 
they learn all kinds of things. They, they have to kill other people in the process. And in seeking the person that they're trying to seek vengeance on, they've, they, they, you, you know, have them evolve into becoming that person. And now to accomplish the feat that they need to accomplish to seek their vengeance, they need to kill the, the perpetrator but they come to realize that they too have a family and by killing them, you know, just, you know, you continue the cycle. So having these like inner conflicts and inner turmoil in a character and try to explore those, it can be a lot of fun. What I'd like to ask to you, Scott, is when you're painting a miniature or I know you've made your own miniatures, or it was a less of a miniature, but still a model. Um, How did you do that process? And, and did you try to explore the personality of that character or perhaps some of the, the deeper, more complex pieces to, to end up with a final result? Like how, how did that process work and are there parallels that can be drawn there? I would say that largely when I designed that miniature it was mostly just aesthetic choices. There were a couple of the elements that I pulled in that were, that were narrative driven. A lot of it comes from me being a fan of the medium of vampires and uh, absorbing a lot of content about vampires and kind of like picking and choosing what elements of those stories and those artistic details that I really liked. So for instance, there are like two kinds of vampires often there are like monstrous ones and then more kind of like elegant and, and, and human ones. I think the, the awesome part about vampires is while they can be like ar aristocratic, uh, they can also be like incredibly violent and strong. And so the way that I kind of like paid homage to that monstrous vampire was I gave the Duchess claws in her one hand and she's like clutching like a goblet and but you can see she has really long nails which look inhuman cool. and so yeah so there, there are like definitely like elements on she she has a circlet on her forehead because she she's a duchess she's she's royalty but like she's wearing a dress she has some armor but not a ton she's capable of fighting but also she's ready to go to a, a ball at any time so a lot of like those two elements kind of uh interplaying to create the final character but i would say those are mostly aesthetic I haven't really explored like a cool, like uh, like the idea, the idea of revenge or the idea of like kind of slipping into madness after experiencing a traumatic event, something like mm -hmm. that. I haven't used that so much to design a character, but maybe that's the next level. Like I, I am a yeah. tryhard, Matt. You'll you, you'll come to understand this. So cool. if there's anything that I can make any better, even in the slightest, uh, having a background story for a character will definitely help. Yeah. The Wood Elves had, I had a writer who uh, assisted me in creating a backstory for these characters um, that helped kind of really shape how I felt about them. I, I had them designed aesthetically first with all of their details. And the writer came in and, and took those details. They're basically like tiny little micro stories and then kind of, uh, kind of wove an entire tale that kind of pulled them all together. And that is when he introduced things like revenge things like uh, a struggle for power like how power corrupts individuals and things like that so i'm starting to get there maybe maybe i can think about it before making the model on the next one cool well hey even i mean even when you were talking about the duchess and like that contrast between the the i don't want to call it the wild side because that's not what it is but you know her vampiric self and and the more controlled composed that's a really neat power struggle that you can have in a character mm -hmm. Maybe that's your next role-playing game character, you know? You um, mm. take your painted figurine, bring it to a, a, a Dungeons & Dragons game. You can be a vampire. You can be mm. a, a vampire in your game and, and see how it works out. But that'd be, that's, that'd be a cool power struggle, keeping herself in check, being her own worst enemy or whatever. That, that'd be yeah, that, that sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Um, all right, cool. Uh, the, the, one of the last things, I mean, there's so many things. I could ramble off forever, but I don't want to because... 
I want to talk to you about mini painting too. Um, but one of the, my favorite parts about this hobby, about role-playing games anyway, is that it kind of branches off in a lot of different things. You know, you can make it what you want. You can, I, I know people who've like programmed virtual tabletops for themselves and their friends so that they can play games. Me, I'm, I'm the other end of the spectrum. I like the physicality of the game. I like playing in a room with people, with terrain made out of foam, with figurines that we've painted. We've even tried to make our own with like um, that putty, like milliput stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't really turn out so great. But you know, we we like grafted pieces on to 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 one miniature, and it, it was a fun experiment. We'll leave it yeah, at that. But it sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of neat. So anyway, yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the beauty of this hobby is that you get to create cool shit. Um, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about maybe some of the coolest things that you feel you've made. Uh, th- some of the things that you're the most proud of that you want, you would like to share uh, with the wow. listeners. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I, so I think a, a criticism of the miniature hobby, especially when you compare it to other art forms is that you start with something that is already an artistic creation and you modify it. You don't, uh, you never make something from scratch, which is honestly a thing that I've struggled with as a miniature painter. I, I, some of my favorite YouTube content to watch is, is craftsmen or artists starting from raw materials and making something, whether that's carpentry, leatherworking, whether that's uh, painting on a canvas, whatever it is. I love that stuff. So I've always kind of struggled with this. And so I had a video where from flat styrene stock, I designed a building in 2D and then cut that building out with my little Cricut, uh, essentially a CNC attached to an X-Acto knife, cut it out of styrene and assembled it and painted it. And there's no kit, there's no instructions. I designed it and made it. And I made a video about it and the video was super tight as well, um, like editorially. So I was I was really satisfied with that whole package. The video, the, the creative process took like three weeks to do, the video another week. And so that, that whole experience has given me a lot of pride whenever I come back to it because I kind of struggle with that feeling of, you know, I can't make something from scratch. It's like, no, no, I can't. No, I've done it. So that's one big thing. Um, I mean, don't sell yourself short. I, I would argue that it's probably harder to take somebody else's creation and make it your own. Like that, that's, I can only draw parallels to role-playing games. Yeah, but please do. It, 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 the same thing can be said about running a pre-made adventure. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of adventures that you can go and buy and they've been written by a team of writers and there's all these, these narrative threads that you're, you know, you can, you can, as a game master, you can use to inspire the game that you're going to run. Sometimes there's like monsters with stat blocks and there's, there's different locations and descriptions and rooms and yada, yada, all this, all this stuff. But it's so hard to take that and modify it to fit the people that you're playing with because everybody plays this game so differently from from my table to your table to anybody listening your table like it's it's also different mm-hmm. so it's oh, it's incredibly hard and i find it so hard that i often don't do it like i rather create my own adventure and homebrew my own stuff because it's, it's just too hard to take somebody else's creation and and like throw parts away that i think maybe aren't relevant or splice one part and add it to somewhere else oh, it's too tough it's too tough mm. so for you to take a figurine that's that's not yours and then to give it a story and paint it a certain color scheme and bring it to life i think there's don't i guess my point is don't sell yourself short because there's a lot there's a lot of skill involved in there for sure yeah i appreciate that thank you matt i've never really looked at that looked at it that way maybe i'll make a note of that and tell john about that because we kind of have a similar thought mm. process about that and, and most miniature painters do uh, referring to minis as like 3D coloring books and, and stuff like that. 
one more thing I'm proud of. I think often, I think often when we improve the most at an artistic avenue or really anything, we're kind of pushing the limits of of what we think we are able to accomplish, and also we're like probably doing it under some kind of time constraint. Or like some kind of like need to finish that thing. So it's like a driving force to get done with it and say that it's done. And so it's happened multiple times over my career. But one that I, I kind of think about a lot is I painted a bust for Crystal Brush in 2017 called Power Corrupts. And it was a model called Red Alabama by uh, Pedro Fernandez Works. And it's a, it's a vampire. Shocking. That's why it's called nice. Red Alabama. Sure um, I didn't paint her as a vampire, but I, I did a ton of very intricate freehand on that model. And that was kind of like the beginning of me getting into freehand and, and being more confident and stuff like that. I had a similar experience with a witch model that I painted doing a ton of conversion, uh, fitting into a, a vampire. Like you turned the <laughs> witch into a <laughs> No, but you know, she was still evil. So we're kind of okay, in that spectrum. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that, that was more like taking a model and fitting it inside of a story instead of taking a model that has a story and kind of like working with that pre-baked story. And that was like a ton of conversion, a lot of like sculpt work. So yeah, th those moments when you really try to learn a new skill and you, and you look back and you're proud of the end result, th those two definitely come to mind. Very cool. Very cool. Is freehand something, maybe if you could explain it to the listeners, and I think I know what it is, but I'm not going to try to explain it in case it's wrong. So yeah. I'll throw it to you. Freehand, is, go for it. What, what is freehand? Freehand is what a, a normal artist would call painting. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's basically... You are painting a detail on a model that does not exist. So in the mm. case of my, my piece called Power Corrupts, I made her skin uh, flaking away. And you could see this like ember fieriness under it. So I had shards of skin, black little veins with like kind of like almost like a lava effect under, under those little flakes of skin. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a lot of that. You could paint on banners, on tabards, all kinds of stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Scott, I, I hope that me sharing some of my passion about the role-playing game hobby has found its way to you and that I've convinced you to, to go play maybe a vampire character in like, you, you should get somebody to run the curse of Strahd for oh, you. Yeah. I've heard of that one. That, that sounds like it'd be something you'd like, but um, I don't know. Did you feel a little bit more, do you feel a little bit more inspired to maybe play a role-playing game again, or maybe get behind the dungeon master screen? Hey, if I could be a vampire, I mean, all bets are off. So, okay, my my understanding of role playing games is not. So, you mentioned being something that you couldn't be in real life, and what I've always wanted to be since a little kid was a freaking villain, man. I want to be the bad guy, you know. So, yeah. I feel like role playing isn't because it's a collaborative experience, isn't very conducive to being a villain because you have someone who's just like ruining the progress of people in the party that are trying to collaborate together. So I think normally what I do is play an anti-hero, someone who is has their own objectives going on, can play nice, but also does what they want for their own motivations. So if I can if I can figure out a way to do that with a vampire, I'm in. I'm in like sin. Let's do it. I'm sure people are going to come at me for saying this, but you could also just be the game master and then you get to be the villain. <laughs> <laughs> hey, okay. All right. Um, I mean, there's a few more loopholes that you'd have to jump through to run the game. But if you've got a cool story that you want to tell, you've got a cool world that you that you want, or you want to go find a setting that exists for real. You know, you go find, you get the Curse of Strahd book that explains the his castle, Castle Ravenloft, and all the, the the vampire minions within it. And then you get to play all those characters. You get to be you get to be the big bad guy, foiling the plans of everybody else. Uh, it might hey. be. 
that's that might be idea. up your alley. <laughs> I, I, I might like that idea. I, I, you know, you don't really think about that, where the DM takes on the role of being the villain for the purposes of being slain by the party. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm, I'm into that idea. Cool, cool. Well, I'm glad I, I glad I nudged you uh, a little bit closer to it, and I hope, I hope you you play a little more. I'd, ha- I'd happily run a game for you if you needed me to. Um, all right. Well, I mean, with that, I might transition into some some mini painting stuff i i know me personally there's nothing that makes an enemy or a character pop on a tabletop rpg table more than a mini i've tried using like printouts little standing paper things that you put in like a little folding they're basically like printed out minis but on paper yeah i've tried i've tried using like little tokens it just doesn't it's not the same thing as having uh 3d representation of the thing that you're describing or the character you're playing on the table Mm -hmm. but one of the biggest struggles i know i have and a lot of people in the hobby have is that unless you're painting your character most of the time the things that we create are so fleeting you know like it's an enemy that the players kill and then it's gone and then you (laughs) you spend all this time and money on a miniature that like you can use it again for a different table, or maybe you can bring the enemy back later, but narratively and in the, in the game that you're playing, it doesn't make sense for it to come back. Mm. So I, I guess the, the first question I have for you, Scott, and I hope it's not too on the nose, but do you have any advice for people who want to paint things for a role-playing game, a tabletop role-playing game, uh, quickly and inexpensively so mm. that it can still look pretty good, but that sting of using it only like four times doesn't hurt so bad when, uh, when that happens. Okay. I think the first piece of advice I have is just to kind of like reorient the way you think about mini painting. So while you're painting a model, it's very easy to hone in on everything wrong with it. Cause it's like five inches from your face. Um, mm. But the moment you put it down on the table amongst six other models amongst painted terrain, it transforms into something you're really proud of. So I would say just keep that truly a gem in your back pocket that I've learned time and time again that what it looks like in your hand is about 10 times as worse as what it's going to look like on the table. Um, so that I think that often helps to motivate people to finish a paint job because it's always going to look better, one, when it's done, and two, when it's amongst other painted models. In terms of speed painting, I would say if you're just getting into mini painting, and you don't have access to like don't have access to stuff like uh, airbrushes and stuff like that. Leveraging aerosol cans to create things like xenothal undercoats that you can paint with translucent paints, whether that's contrast paint, whether that's instant paint, whether that's inks that you've mixed with a medium and water to get really quick, vibrant, punchy colors mm. on top of a xenothal undercoat, get you an amazing effect really quickly. There are techniques like dry brushing that oftentimes might get criticized might feel a little shameful to use sometimes when employed correct give you wonderful blends across large models that would otherwise take you a very long time yeah those are some tips i can think of right now was that good yeah that's cool and i use a lot of dry brushing so i hope that doesn't mean i'm a bad mini painter (laughs) never absolutely never yeah no that that's great um uh, another thing that i find is a little bit intimidating for people at least it was intimidating for me when I started mini painting in in the context of role-playing games was that I've often found that it was really hard to find miniatures that weren't 
very specific. Mm-hmm. You know, I I like the idea of having like a little village of villagers, and I have all I have got like the blacksmith, and I've got the I've got the like town mayor, and you know I've I've got these like kind of nondescript characters. I don't know if if you know of a place where these exist, but my my uh, range of like where to buy miniatures kind of is limited to like games workshop figgies and and maybe I don't know, like a Reaper miniature and stuff like this. Do, do you know of other brands, other places where you can get like more generic miniatures? And do you have any recommendations that you might have um, for like just a bunch of townsfolk or a bunch mm. of uh, town guard that you can like recycle and reuse at several occasions without it being uh, suspicious on the part of the players? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a couple recommendations for you. Um, so. You mentioned Reaper Mini. That's a fantastic resource. They certainly have generic stuff. Um, Dark Sword Miniatures, similar thing to Reaper Miniatures. Actually, it's a company from Minnesota. Uh, Jim cool. Ludwig, the owner, plays a game uh, that I play, a Song of Ice and Fire. We hang out and, and chat all the time. But yeah, lots lots of generic, great fantasy models in that range. Uh, another one is Red Box Miniatures. I love that uh, place. Hassle-free miniatures for my friends in the United Kingdom. Uh, board games like Massive Darkness, like Zombicide Black Plague uh, from Kumani or Not, have tons of generic models that you can use, even characters sometimes, yeah, like mobs uh, for uh, your encounters, like zombie werewolves and normal zombies and baby zombies and all kinds of zombies, you know? So all kinds of stuff you can use. And then lastly, with the advent of 3D printing, mm. there I-, I used to have a pretty good handle on, like every model that existed like you could show me a design and i could i I probably knew who made it i I wouldn't know maybe the name of it but now man with 3d printing there are literally endless options and even if you don't have a 3d printer you can hop on etsy and find someone who 3d prints like as a service give them an stl they'll do the support work it's not already done and print it out for you and send it your way i think if you can't find something from one of those resources i can almost guarantee you will find something on like Thingiverse or from a Patreon, something like that. Cool, cool, cool. And and do you find that three D printed minis? I've never I've never painted one. I've never used one. Is there any kind of tangible difference? Or as far as like the process and the finished product, are they the same? So I I say there are definitely differences, but I think that is because I don't know. I'm a little bit of a, a little bit of a stuffy nose like elitist <laughs> when it comes to model design and so with, with a patreon there is no gatekeeping to quality it's like anyone can make anything and sell it and that's mm. that's freaking wonderful because then people get to vote with their dollars about what they think should exist there is a difference sometimes in design quality but when it comes to painting the thing as soon as you slap primer on that bad boy it's it's a model just like everyone else hmm, cool all right that's that's great that's great news i'm gonna go I'm going to play this back and I'm going to go buy some minis from, uh, yeah, sweet. Um, happy to happy for those of you listening who are into this kind of stuff too. happy to link some stuff in the show notes. And if I forget, just come at me on Twitter and I'll, 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 I'll go find it. So yeah, that, that sounds great. Thank you for sharing that Scott. Yeah. Um, another, another question I have for you and it's going to be to try to convince the 49% of people who said that they, don't paint minis. Mm, mm. Um, what would you say to those people to try to tell? Like, I I don't want to speak for them, but I can make some assumptions as to maybe why they don't. I think some of the things that I saw in that Twitter poll, some of the comments were saying that it felt 
too difficult. It felt like they didn't have the artistic talent to do it. Mm. Uh, some people also said that it felt too expensive, that there was like a, a cost a barrier that prevented them from getting too invested in mini painting. So with, with kind of that context and that background about the people who, who were listening and who voted, what would you say to these people to say, you know what, mini painting isn't as, as expensive or isn't as hard as you think it is? And why is that? All right. Yeah. Let's start with money first. So okay. I have a video out there. It's called How Cheap is Miniature Painting? And I paint a model with none of my supplies, nothing that I own for $11.87. So I bought the model, the paintbrushes, the paints, the palette, the cup, the water, the whatever else, paper towel um, for $11, 12 bucks essentially. So cool. if you buy the cheapest stuff, which is not even the worst stuff, you can absolutely paint models. I think the thing with cost is gear acquisition syndrome getting in the way, right? It's like, I can't paint until I have a full range of model, uh, uh, paints, until I have sable hairbrushes, until I have a wet palette, until I have an airbrush. I can't, I can't function at the level I'm supposed to function at. It's not even worth trying until I have these items. And that's absolutely false. A lesson that I learned from my mom and will take to the grave is when I wanted to buy an element skateboard when I was a high schooler, she was like, here's a Walmart skateboard, do 10 tricks. And when you show me 10 tricks, you could buy an element one. And I was like, damn. So I never bought an element skateboard. (laughs) 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 You know? So it's like, if if you're worthy, you will prove to yourself that you could buy those fancy tools. You know? Mm. I feel like it should should be more about the love of the craft than about having the things that enable you to do the craft. And then eventually, you'll you'll buy those things to make your craft easier and even better. But but yeah, I don't think... I think that definitely gets in the way. Now, in terms of skill, I'm not going to, like, lie to you. Like people paint better than other people in the hobby. And it's because they've been painting for a very long time, mm-hmm. care a lot about improving and, and put a lot of effort into improving. And so it's like, everyone starts pretty much from the same place. I know it's maybe not necessarily true, but I'm definitely a believer that, I don't know, I think talent is, is total BS. And I think if you want something in life, you can get it. You just got to work for it. I kind of feel that about everything. I mean, there are certain things like I'm not, I'm never going to be in the NBA. I'm never going to be, you know, I, I just, I, 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 I'm not cut out for that, but, uh, anything maybe more reasonable than that, if you want it, it's there for the taking. You just have to go out and, and get it. And when it comes to mini painting, that's about just sitting down at the desk and just painting and putting in hours. Now that could sound like a job. So let's talk about what mini painting is, is good for, like why, why it's enjoyable, why that process is, is worth your time. Um, we all have very busy lives and it feels really good to sit down and turn off those lives for a little bit and just paint this model that's in front of me and put on some music and engage in that flow state and just enjoy enjoy that moment it's like it's like the magical hours of 5 to 7 a.m when the world isn't awake when you can put your headphones on and or put on lord of the rings or or whatever you want to watch while painting and just kind of just kind of absorb into that world. It's it's really calming. It's really peaceful. It's really relaxing. I think people nowadays, with how connected the world is, especially need that right now. Um, so yeah, those are some reasons why it isn't as expensive as you think. Some typical pitfalls, and then also some encouragement. I would also say about pit- pitfalls is there's this really easy tendency to look at the model you painted and com- and compare it to somebody else. But if you if you look at Duncan Rhodes' first model, you look at my first model, they're all crap. If we all start from the same place, yours yours are gonna be crap. I'm telling you right now, listener. 
your models are going to look bad. And that's totally normal and that's totally okay. And you should keep that model as a, as a memento to your, your beginning journey so that a year from now, when you painted one model a month or one model every two weeks and you look back at that first one of 20, it's gonna be, you're going to be so much better. And then that improvement is going to encourage you to keep going and keep going and keep going. So yeah, let's do it. Let's paint some mini. Yeah, yeah. I can, and I can vouch for that. Like, Wonderful. Uh, yeah, you, you know, the first few don't look so great. But even the ones that are bad, I mean, to, to an untrained eye, like you said, when it's on the table, you've had a few beers, you've got <laughs> terrain out, and it's yeah. kind of like spread out amongst dice and other, other paraphernalia for the game. It just looks cool. It just looks Absolutely. cool. It's probably pretty dark in the room you're playing in anyway. You know, it's, it's not so bad. <laughs> the pupils, like one eye, I met my, one of my first minis, it was uh, a, Gon- a Gondor soldier, you know, and he, I'm, his eyes were looking in different directions, like for <laughs> sure. And they weren't even cool eyes. They were like white with two black dots. And the dots were looking in different directions. But you can't tell. You put them no. down. The the armor looks half decent. The, sh- the, the, the sword has like some kind of metallic paint on it. So it kind of shimmers in the light. That's it. That's all the people at the table see. They're not going to like hunch over and stare your mini in like the cross-eyed eyes that you put on them. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right about that. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, another question that I have for you, Scott, and it it goes to kind of some of the tools that you spoke of. So you you spoke of how you could get some tools at a pretty low cost. Mm-hmm. Are there certain paint ranges or are there certain types of paints or or certain types of tools that you think? And I'm sure you've said this on your YouTube channel, so feel free to feel free to plug the videos that explain it in more detail. But are there specific things for people out there listening who, you know, they want to paint their big bad to have maximum effect at the end of the campaign, but they don't have any tools or maybe they have some limited tools. And anyway, what are some of the best bang for your buck as far as, as paints go and, and tools go for somebody who is of this beginner level mini painter? Okay. Um, I would say uh dry pigments are an incredibly easy thing to introduce to your model to just make it look super special in a way that paint is not able to do uh dry pigments um you can buy them as is in a little powdery form from hobby brands you can go to art supply stores and buy hard pastels and and kind of uh, grind them up and turn them into like a powder they have this beautiful dirty matteness that's just not replicatable by by uh, by acrylic paint or, or oil paint. That's wonderful. That's a great idea. Uh, fluorescent paints are super bright and saturated. You'll never get something from a normal paint range that's that bright. Um, so if you want like a cool glowing orb that just like pops out from ten feet away on the table, uh, fluo paints are fantastic. I would say uh, do not underestimate the power of a, a painted model with a finished base. So I know. Oftentimes, when we get to the end of a painting process, people can really kind of not want to paint the base because it's like the last thing they want to phone it in. Uh, but even a phoned-in base on a on a painted model just like finishes the whole model and it looks it looks wonderful. Um, so th- that that's a huge thing. Um, I would say um, sometimes don't be afraid to incorporate some terrain details, some some non-painted things on a painted model. So, for instance, I have a tree lord in my wood elf army. And he has lots of branches. And so I took some Woodland Scenics, like, clump foliage, and I attached it to his branches to, to, to have, like, you know, some of that different texture on the model. If you're not, not the strongest painter, kind of breaking up your paint job with 
elements like that helps a ton. Another example being, say you have someone in a snowy atmosphere, putting snow on their shoulders or on their on their head or in their hair. Stuff like that can help to kind of break up your paint job really nicely. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, adding textures is, is a lot of fun. Mm. Um, I, I really like that, especially in the case of, of a role-playing game. Like I said, because we use these models sometimes very in a very limited, it's in this one combat. This is when you fight the big demon that's coming out of the summoning circle. And if you mm -hmm. kill him, you kill him. He's gone. He's not coming back. But because it's so specific, you can make the base of that model as specific as you need it to be. You could mm -hmm. you could go so far as, like you're saying, free hand on, free hand on like the center of the pentagram where the thing comes out because that's, mm -hmm. that's where the, they're fighting them. So things like this, I think... While it might be a de it might be seen as a detriment that they're so limited in their function, can be an artistic restriction that actually makes it easier for you to do it. If, if that makes any sense. Absolutely, restriction oftentimes births creativity in real mm. unique ways. So definitely. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um. All right, Scott. I'm looking at the time, and I want to ask you a question. But Scott, I wanted to ask you something that maybe you don't get asked often, or you don't get the opportunity to um, to talk about often on your YouTube channel. But what is what is something like a piece of advice or a recommendation or something that you're learning now that you would like to share with listeners that maybe you feel like perhaps it's for someone who's extremely advanced and there's not enough people out there so you, you wouldn't make a YouTube video about it because it wouldn't get enough people to attract attention to or, or things like this. Something that you wish you could talk about, you want to give as a, as advice or recommendation that's on top, top of mind, but maybe doesn't make for the most punchy YouTube video, but still something that is you know, about mini painting, about the hobby that you think would be uh, interesting to listen to. Okay. I think something that's been on the top of my mind lately. So I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty nerdy person as far as everything in my life goes. I like to really break down even artistic stuff into ones and zeros and try to define it as best as I can. And uh, so one thing I've kind of, come to terms with and I'm trying I'm still trying to figure out how to fully like kind of describe this idea but uh when we first get started in painting you learn a couple techniques uh washing dry brushing base coating maybe you learn a technique called layering applying highlights of color it's my ongoing theory that layering is like the most important mini painting technique that you could ever learn and here here's why I think that so when you try to paint something, you want to paint a cloak to look green. You have a certain kind of green in your head that you want it to look like. Um, maybe it's a certain paint. Maybe it's a certain character from a movie you're trying to replicate. Um, that color is the midtone. It's the it's the color that's represented best in that in that object. Now, when you're first painting, you might paint that thing that green color, wash it, apply a highlight, and then it looks good. When you start to get into more advanced mini painting, maybe you do away with the wash. You start from a dark color and you start to highlight and you all of a sudden realize you've kind of missed the mark. Your green color is gone. It's different. It's darker. It's lighter. It's a different hue. You don't know what went, what, what, what went on. So the way you distribute color across any given object on your model is what allows that to read as that color. And knowing how much of that paint to put on, how much of the shadow to leave behind, how much highlight to not cover up that midtone with, such that that final object reads as the color you want it to read as is so important, not only for conveying the ideas you want to convey, but also for future techniques like glazing, like wet blending. Like you need to know all that information to be able to take those techniques to the next level. 
but it's like kind of a technique that we kind of forget about a little bit, mm-hmm. layering. But yeah, so I think I think that is a, a very unsung hero in terms of techniques in the uh, mini painting hobby. I see. And and just to make sure everybody listening understands, layering is, like you said, it's it's adding different tones of color to highlight or or not, I suppose, right? Is that is that what it is? Am I yeah. am I making sense? You are, yeah. So you okay. have you have three colors, dark, midtone, highlight, or or even more, you could have endless. And you're just you're trying to get contrast to the model, trying to start with the shadow, go to a midtone, go to a highlight, one color after the other, getting smaller and smaller and smaller, uh, trying to make it look good. I see. And then and, and so what you're saying is as you add these colors, because there's so many of them, it kind of distorts. It distorts yes. it. Mm-mm. Yeah. So you cover up your midtone with 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 highlights. Say you take your your wonderful green from from Citadel and you mix in a color or you use a different green from their range to highlight. And maybe you cover up too much of that green, and and before you know it, you have something that looks totally different than what you envisioned. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to kind of understand your target and how not to obscure that target, how to kind of get in your own way. Um, I think this is an advanced topic, um, but I think it has implications that are important for beginners to understand kind of going into more advanced topics. But I'm still workshopping how to describe it in a way that's like kind of easily consumed, you know? I mean, that, I, I think that made sense. It made sense to me. Uh, oh, great, great. I'm, I'm sure there's some of it that went over my head and I think I understood all of it, but... <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> but yeah, no, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I think that's, that's a great tidbit of knowledge and hopefully listeners, uh, you think so too. Awesome. So, so with that, I, I now come to, I mean, this is usually the hardest part of the show because I like to get us to try to wrap up and provide like a conclusion that summarizes everything we talked about. But because today's episode was a little bit different than usual, I think, I think instead what I'll do, Scott, is I'll throw you the microphone mm-hmm. and I'd love, to, I'd love to hear from you about just maybe role-playing games in general and then mini painting in general are there things that you didn't get a chance to say today for both of those topics that you feel like went unsaid and uh, and then i'll kind of i'll I'll come in and try to wrap it up after okay sure yeah i think an important thing to be restated or if we didn't say it already is that when it comes to mini painting and role play role playing they're both hobbies and people engage in them in the way that they have most fun doing and that is that's kind of the point and so no matter what any person on the internet says regardless of the number of facebook followers youtube subscribers they have if you're having fun doing this hobby whichever one it is in whatever way you want just keep doing it like who cares what our opinion is um and that also being said if you don't like mini painting or you don't like role playing you don't have to do it. You don't have mm. to like it. If you're a role player, but you're not into mini painting, but kind of feel like they go hand in hand, I don't know. Don't force yourself to do it. You might end up ruining role playing for yourself. So I don't want to like introduce further fear into taking on more hobbies, but you know, it's okay to not like something. And I think that's important to be stated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, think that's, I think that's very well said and it does wrap it up quite nicely. I, I think we did mention it briefly but it's good to it's good to repeat it again that we're here to have fun we're here yeah. to have fun and the way you have fun is always the best way mm. don't let us tell you otherwise mm. but it's always a lot of fun also to dissect the ways that we have fun so that it can be fun i mean, i'm saying fun way too many times but <laughs> <laughs> but uh to, to, i guess to to summarize what we talked about today we talked about some of the the things that i really like about role playing how this opportunity to tell stories 
collaboratively, this opportunity to put on characters and to play somebody that you're not, to explore a facet of yourself or some inner conflict that you think might make for an interesting and fun dramatic moment are all things that I think are, you know, coming into this, I thought they were exclusive to role-playing games. But Scott proved to me that there are quite a few parallels in the mini painting hobby as well. They, they don't translate, you know, word for word, but there's still some nice bridges to be built between, between the two things. Um, as, as far as telling a story with a mini, I think Scott, you, you mentioned that it's something that you can certainly do. It's always, if in fact, better to think of a story for the army or the miniature that you're painting. As far as personality, we talked a little bit about that as well and how some figures could have a personality baked into them, whether it be by the paint job that you've done or kind of the model itself. We talked about the Duchess and the circlet on her head and the claws on her hand kind of created this cool contrast that could make for a fun personality to play out as a role-playing game character. Mm-hmm. And then and then we talked about some tips that Scott uh, doled out for us as far as accessible tools and uh, accessible techniques. So yeah, with that, I hope that everybody listening enjoyed it. Scott, why don't you say goodbye to the listeners? Why don't you uh, tell us where we can find you on socials and where they can listen to your podcast and subscribe to your YouTube channel and all that good stuff? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. It was a wonderful chat. I really appreciate that. Second, thank you, dear listener, for listening. I don't know why I'm looking at my webcam right now. You're listening to this. You're not looking at me. Um, But anyways, thank you for lending your ears for this hour of content. We really appreciate it. Um, if, uh, you want to find out more about what I do, you can find me and my co-host John on our podcast called trapped under plastic. Talk about, you, you mentioned earlier in the episode where I was like kind of trying to make something of nothing in terms of content. That's definitely what we do on the podcast. We, we have, <laughs> we have discussions, we have rants about many painting things that are not worthy of discussion, but we do it anyways. Um, and we have a lot of fun. All very that. entertaining. Might I add, I was mowing the lawn the other day. And my wife was looking at me. She's like, what are you smiling about mowing the lawn? I'm like, "Uh, you wouldn't understand. But I was listening to these guys talk about British sayings or something. I don't even remember what it was. Sounds about right. It was, yeah, obviously it was you guys talking. It was with your London episode where you had. had, um, Anyway, I'm rambling. Please. That's okay. (laughs) That was a good episode. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, you can also find me on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash miniac. Find me on uh, Instagram, uh, instagram.com slash. It's actually like the word maniacal, but with an I instead of an A in the beginning. So it's miniacal underscore. If you want to look at my painted works and stuff like that. And I also live stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash miniac. And uh, as part of this office move, we have this really new fancy uh, streaming setup that we're debuting on July 1st. I don't know when this episode's going to come out, but. Yeah, you check out the new painting stream, the new gaming stream. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Do, do you have like a, a, a streaming schedule? Is there specific days that people can come catch you on? Yeah, so I uh, do my uh, painting stream every Friday from 1 to 4 p.m. CST. And then my gaming stream, uh, the, the schedule isn't determined yet, but it's going to be either Wednesday or Thursday every week from 7 to 10 p.m. CST. Awesome. Cool. What's the first game on the docket? Oh, definitely a song of ice and fire. Definitely. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice, nice. Well, thank you, Scott, for being here. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you about uh, role playing games and minis. I hope I managed to convince you to um, play more role playing games 
And uh, listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you had any questions for me, you can always reach out to me on Twitter. That's at role underscore play underscore chat. Or you can email me at contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. With that, thanks again, Scott. It was an absolute pleasure. Mm, likewise. And let's call it a chat. Cool. Is that the, that the ending bit? Let's call it that's, a chat? That's the bit. Yeah, that's Beautiful. the end. Beautiful.